Now Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based financial planning firm providing investment and planning advice since 1983. Doug is a certified financial planner who can answer your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now with your investment question? At 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA, Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA, Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. Hello, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Well, good evening, North Carolina. Thanks for joining us once again on Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WPTF. This is Linda Lewis. And this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And this is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And we're here tonight to answer your money problems, your money questions, your money puzzle, your money matters. Because although your money matters to you, your money also matters to us because our job is your financial future. Marianne, how can I help you with your money matter this evening? I am one of several recipients of a rather large estate. The executor will have to file with the IRS. All right, and when you say you're the recipient, has someone passed away already? or you think someone passed away about four months ago. All right, so this is a relative of yours that passed away, and the executor is... Is a bank in Arizona. All right. I'm just curious. Uh, They keep saying that it will probably take about two years to settle this estate because when you send in the... uh, forms to IRS, which have to be done in nine months, and they're going to wait till nine months. After that, they say when they audit, sometimes it takes a year, a year and a half. My question to you is, you, do you have any idea how we heirs could expedite that? That's a real good question, and I have a sneaking suspicion that it may be possible. My guess would be, and I would not like to be quoted on this, what I'd rather do is have you call me at the office and I will put us in touch with an estate planning attorney. I work with several very closely. How many heirs are there? Well, there are uh, four of us that will get the residual. And, uh, there are four heirs? All right. Uh, well, give me some numbers so I know what we're talking about. Oh, the, well, when it gets to us, it won't be very much. The estate's about uh, $1.8 million. All right, so a $1.8 million estate, and are there heavy credit uh, creditors against the estate? There's no, there are no there, it was about... Ten, fifteen thousand dollars worth of bills to pay off, and that's all been done. All right. But the bank is going to take about fifty thousand bucks, and then we don't know what the lawyer's fee will be. Mm-hmm. And then there's one other uh, a gift of a hundred thousand dollars, and everything that's left gets divided four ways. Well, that'd be a very good question that I would like to run by one of the attorneys that we work with and see if a unanimous decision amongst the heirs can change executors. Oh, it's uh, no, that's not my question. It's too late to change executors. We're way into it. If that was to have been done, and I thought of that, I, I thought of writing the judge and asked that my brother be allowed to continue. He had power of attorney for two years to pay all the bills, but it's too late. The bank has got a, it, the bank is in the same state where the, the court is. They're not, and we're all from someplace else. Uh, what I had in mind is there anything we could do about writing directly to the IRS office saying, look, you know, is there anything we can do to expedite this audit that they apparently will audit? 
And I thought maybe if the four of us said, look, you know, let's go with it. We're all close to 70 years old, or some of us are 50, but most of them are 70. Yeah, I think there are some things that you can do. Again, I... I'd want to be I'd want to be using an attorney. But I think there are some things you it shouldn't take two years to file a tax return, that's for sure. No, no, it only takes nine months to file the return. You have to file it in nine months. So why is the estate being audited? Oh, they just assume that every uh, estate of any size gets audited by the IRS. Well, that's not necessarily true at all. Well, I I thought the bank is a little uh but I thought maybe if I wrote and this would be the Ogden, Utah branch i thought maybe i just write and ask them to do an immediate audit yes well <laughs> yeah, but you've had no experience with that i think no i don't it's think a little you, bit off of your i don't well it's not off it's it's not off of my area I, I, I i'm working in this area all the time but i'm working with an attorney is what i'm saying we oh, generally we, we generally bring an estate planning attorney in who is represent who who who's able to represent himself before the IRS, oh, and as it's, you see what I'm saying? Ah, maybe that's what the four of us could do. Well, that, that's that's exactly what I'm saying. If you will call me at my office, I'll, I'll see about getting us in in touch with an attorney who works in this area and who is able to go. You see, you, your attorneys fall into several categories. Number one, you've got estate planning attorneys that simply go ahead and prepare wills and trusts and so forth. They're very uncomfortable dealing in the area of taxes and accounting. Uh-huh. There are other estate attorneys who are also CPAs and who are very comfortable in this area, and they like to actually represent you before the IRS. Uh -huh. You see what I'm saying? I see. Well, I didn't know that. That's exactly. Very exactly. And the consumer doesn't know, typically, they're not questions that you ask an attorney, and quite frankly, uh, they're not types of questions that you would ex be expected to ask. But the attorneys that I like are the ones who are able to go in and work in both areas simultaneously. They know their ways around the IRS. And they also know the estate tax laws. Right. You see what I'm saying? So you, yes, you want somebody who's expert in estates and taxation. It's estates and taxation and comfortable dealing with the IRS, exactly, uh, and has represented ones before the IRS. So, Marianne, if you'd like to call me at the office, I'll go ahead and see about getting us in touch with someone that uh, that I've worked with and that I can feel comfortable recommending to you. Well, I appreciate that very much. You're sure welcome. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. My office number, by the way, is 872-7000. Okay. Thank you very, very much. Thank you for calling, Marianne. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Well, you know, it is, we live in the Carolinas, and it is so exciting that, you know, we always make... Uh, I don't remember which publication it was, but, you know, we're one of the best places in the country to, to get a job. We're one of the place, best places to retire. We have great weather. And, you know, a lot of folks that are retiring live in the Carolinas. So, isn't there, uh, aren't there some tax mistakes that senior citizens can't afford to make as they're planning for retirement? That's true. It's a shame to see senior citizens save and then uh, try and invest responsibly all their lives and then at the very end end up giving away a large chunk of their nest egg in the form of taxes. So if this is uh, narrowed down to perhaps three mistakes that you should not make, the first would be uh, what to do with your 401k or traditional IRA. Yeah, after retirement, senior citizens have several options with their employer-sponsored retirement plans like their 401ks. Perhaps the worst of these 
options available to them is just take a lump sum distribution. Yeah, if you're over 59 and a half years old, it's true that you can probably take all of your money out of the plan without paying a penalty. However, keep in mind that the money you take out of the plan is added to your taxable income for the year. And a lump sum distribution could put you in sky high tax bracket. So if your 401k happened to be $500,000 that you've accumulated all your working years and you take a lump sum, you just get a $5,000 bonus on your 1040. I mean, on your uh, tax return that's going to say, oh my gosh. Right, $500,000. (laughs) $500,000. Yeah, right, right. All right, right. So, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. It'd be terrible. What's the t- second tax mistake that seniors can't afford to make? Well, I think the second mistake is, uh, you know, leaving the money in the IRA and withdrawing it as you need. Uh, that's, that's not, you know, that's not what you want to be doing. You want to roll the money over to an IRA that gives you more flexible investment options and then go ahead and withdraw as you need. Yeah, you really have to be careful when it comes to IRAs, uh, 401ks, retirement plans in general, and what the options are. Thinking about your financial future, do you have questions that need answers? For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Now, um... In regard to the way to withdraw funds from retirement plans, is your thought to use taxable or non-taxable first? Or what, what, how do you advise people, Doug? Well, I would say use your taxable funds first in connection and in conjunction with your tax-deferred ones. Because when it comes to using your retirement savings, the order that you use your accounts can make a big difference in how much you're going to end up paying in income taxes. So are you saying if you have a personal portfolio? That's right. That's a taxable account. And because, you know, there are a lot of folks who most of the money that they're saving, it's in their retirement account in a 401k. But... uh, If you take it out of the IRA, it's 100% taxable. Whereas if you take it out of the personal account or personal portfolio, the taxes will probably be about half that amount. Yeah. Bottom line is you really need to work with a CFP or certified financial planner to know when and how much to take from each type of account. Of course, once you turn 70 and a half, you're going to be required to take withdrawals from the 401, uh, from the IRA. So therefore, if you uh, forget or you don't get it right, you're going to be facing a huge penalty and that would be um, up to, it's 50%. So finally, um, if you're if you're going to this is your situation, work with a certified financial planner, uh, find out what order you should be taking from your retirement accounts. And I guess lastly, Doug, I might add that in regard to Roths, uh, Roth accounts are, uh, you know, they could be uh, useful, but they, they, they switch. They go from personal uh, from tax deferred to personal after you retire. Yeah, they don't necessarily have any required minimum distributions like a typical IRA does when you're 70 and a half. And the money also can grow and compound without taxes, but your withdrawals then are going to be tax-free. This is a hybrid, and uh, we have positive and negative feelings about the use of Roth IRAs in our office, depending on your age. 
You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have you seen the Lewis Financial Management website? It's easy to get to DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Okay, Bill, this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. How can I help you? Yeah, Doug, I've yeah. got a question concerning my wife's 401k. She's got a state 401k where she is maxing out on this, and she has an option to go to the federal 403b. I need to know the difference in the two, and also can she max out on both of them, or is it just one or the other? First of all, she can only max out on the one. The combined limit is going to be the com- is going to be the limit. There are slight differences between a 403b and a 401k. In normal language, we always say a 403b plan is a salary reduction plan for people who work for nonprofit organizations, and a 401k plan usually is a salary reduction plan for people who go ahead and work for corporations. Now, I understand the state has a 401k plan, so that challenges that baseline definition, but it goes back to the early days. However, there are very slight differences between the two. The one major difference that I do know of right off the bat, thinking about them, if I had a choice of which one to go into, all things being equal, and they're not equal, but all things being equal in terms of where the money can be invested, the 403b plan allows you to take control of those assets without retiring, and a 401k does not. That doesn't say that you can roll those 403b monies over to an IRA. You can, of course, when you retire in both cases. But what you can do with a 403b, very few people know this is true, by the way. This is something that is very misunderstood and not known. But anybody in a 403b plan which is generally a tax-deferred salary reduction plan for a nonprofit organization, can move that money whenever they choose to another 403B plan that they set up on their own through any mutual fund company and not even tell their employer. With a 401k, you can't do that. Having said that one distinction, that would not be the thing that would make me decide. What would make me decide which of the two to fund would be the investments that you're allowed to go into. In other words, what mutual funds are available? How old is she? 51. 51 years old, and she wants to work for how long? Six more years. Six more years. It's a very tricky decision. It's not a long time, so you don't want to look for which one has the most aggressive funds. They'll all have very conservative either money markets or what we call GICs or BICs, guaranteed GICs or BICs, or guaranteed insurance contracts. But she's got too many years. She's too young to go there. So you probably want to work with the help of someone in evaluating what are the underlying accounts. How much does she have in there, Bill? I think about 25000 In In the 401k? That's right. Now, okay. she can't roll that, though, Linda. See, she can't put that in the 403b. Right. He wants to know, should she now Switch stop over. funding that one and start funding the 403b? Uh-huh. That's right. We really need to look at the sub-accounts, at the investment options that are given to her. And you really want to look at your whole picture. You know, what do you have accumulated? What's the income, Bill? Uh, 60. 60,000? Mm-hmm. That's her income or yours or both? And hers is uh, about 28. And yours is 60? That's right. All right. So you're looking at about an 88,000 family income. What's the investment portfolio look like right now? The non-retirement stuff? Um, I guess about 50. 50,000? That's right. Is that in stocks and bonds, cash, mutual funds? Where is that? A uh, mixture of everything. <laughs> uh, 
the numbers don't look real attractive because it's it's yeah i'd like to yeah i'd like to see some real specifics there because uh if she only got 25,000 Linda accumulate what do you have accumulated in your retirement plan mm that's federal and I, i'll have to check yeah i think you need to work with a certified financial planner to really look at like linda said the whole picture because mm-hmm. uh none of the numbers come together real simple and easy mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. six more years is not a long time yeah, and you want to make sure that you're properly planned for so that when you do retire, it's comfortable and, you know, you can cover all the bases. Well, the other thing I'm thinking, yeah. Linda, is if they're making 88000 it may not it, be uh-huh. in their best benefit to max out the contribution. They may want to be uh, investing more aggressively on their own outside of the retirement plan right. and just put a minimum right. contribution in. Exactly. Okay. And that's something we can't answer tonight on the ear, but uh, write down your questions, Bill. And uh, if we can send you any information, if you'd like further information, we'll be happy to send it to you. Okay. You can call the office at 919-872-7000, 919-872-7000 in Raleigh. I can get, it, I can get back with you then. Yes, sir. Okay. Thank, thank you for calling. Thank you, then. Well, that's an interesting call and um, probably inspiring some people to think about their own situation. Another thing that uh, you might be thinking about is, well, how does uh, Lewis Financial Management or Doug Lewis and Deborah Lewis and Linda Lewis evaluate fund managers, meaning mutual fund managers? So, Doug, I have some questions for you, some things that uh, we look for mutual fund managers. And I I made a list of some, some key things, and I'll ask you to comment on each if you don't mind. All right, fire away. Okay. So some of the strategies uh, that are out there are, uh, that are, are similar to what we use. What would you say when we look for mutual fund managers, uh, that we are looking for, um, it may be the most important characteristic? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is I want mutual fund managers who eat their own cooking, so to speak. Oh. You know, I, I want managers who are investing in their own funds. We find regularly that funds and firms who have managers who invest right alongside of the shareholders have much better results. And actually, Morningstar wants managers to have at least invested $1 million of their own money in a fund that they are managing. So that, to me, is the first thing. I want managers who invest in their own funds. Okay. Well, that would be impressive. If they believe it and they invest their own money, that should make us feel more confident. That's right. Okay. How about fees? Well, I think that's crucial. You need to find funds who have low fees because funds with low fees will also tend to perform better over the long term because you may not see the fees and fees are not loads fees are fees are not commissions fees are the internal cost that are chipped out of your fund every single year now they're all legitimate there's no doubt about that you have to pay the salary of the mutual fund manager you got to the mutual fund company turn on the lights pay turn the on utilities. the lights pay the rent it the is utilities. a company right but still there are ways to evaluate which funds have the lowest fees because those fees are coming out of your fund all right How about manager tenure? Mm, Crucial, crucial. I want to seek funds who have low manager turnover. I want a manager of a fund who's been there for years. I don't want to be uh, telling my clients to invest in this fund whose manager has just been shifted onto this fund from another fund. Uh, Then I have no track record. So I want funds whose managers have been there a long time. That gives stability of leadership. That's also important because you can see that. 
And really, we spend a lot of time thinking about the mission of the fund and how that mission is aligned with the shareholders that we recommend go into that fund. That is definitely a sign of good stewardship, isn't it? It is, Linda. Yeah. Now, how about this uh, issue of you know what they feel like as a company or as a manager? What if they're too salesy? Well, yeah, some some of the, the things that we are trying to gauge is, is the firm focused on salesmanship and gathering more assets, building the fund up bigger, getting more money from investors and building an empire? Or is it a fund that's focused on being a steward to the investor's money? And that, I think, is very crucial. We want to try and avoid funds who are focused on salesmanship. Yeah. Thinking about your financial future? Have questions and need answers? Call Lewis Financial Management for a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Now, what about the issue of underperformance? Let's say the manager underperforms one year. Well, that's going to happen. And if you own a quality manager and he or she is underperforming, then understand that you own that manager for a reason and you want to know what that reason is. And there may be good reasons for a down period. On the other hand, if there's consistent underperformance, it may be time to let's just cut bait, fish somewhere else, get rid of that fund and that manager. Now, how do you assess this comfort level? How do you um, meet, interact, gauge, research managers? Well, I know at Lewis Financial Management, we try to do the necessary due diligence. And that really means I want to, as much as possible, I want to meet with the managers of these mutual funds that my clients are invested in so I can have my own due diligence and the comfort that I know who's handling my client's money. Very good. Well, I hope that's helpful. That's how we evaluate mutual fund management. Yeah, yeah. And um, a lot of people ask us that question. So if you have enjoyed what you've heard during our program today and you have questions or you would like to schedule an appointment at Lewis Financial Management, call us. We're in North Raleigh. We'd love to meet with you. Write down your questions. And if there are any particular special issues in your situation, Uh, Be comfortable that uh, we are experts in the field and certified financial planners trained to meet your financial planning goals. And call us at Lewis Financial Management. That number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Well, you know, Doug and Deborah, there are various stages in, in everyone's life. And there is one stage that is a difficult stage. And what we do in our practice and what we have done recently for some of our clients is help prepare them for the loss of a spouse. Isn't that true? A lot of so-called financial planners who are new to the field have not really had the experience of going through this Uh, This issue that you're talking about, Linda, but when you've been in business, as long as we have, we do see terminal situations, fatal illnesses, and for clients whose spouses have been diagnosed with a fatal illness, then the benefit of time to prepare and make any long, long long-lasting decisions prior to death becomes important, and uh, we have... Uh, We've had the honor, I might say, of being involved in a number of situations like that, from just being told 
I'm thinking of one years ago. I better not mention much on the air, but I'm just thinking that when they came to see us after about six or seven years of being planning clients and they had retired because we told them they could do it and they were traveling around the world. And then he got noticed that he had a terminal cancer. And I remember sitting in the office and he said, the best decision I ever made was uh, when you gave us the advice because these have been wonderful years. And then, of course, we had the time from that moment on to prepare for his demise and then sometimes we've been called to be at the bedside of a terminally ill client. So this matter of, uh, of prior to death planning is very important. And, you know, sometimes it isn't just, for example, cancer or Lou Gehrig's or Parkinson's. It could be onset dementia or Alzheimer's. And then eventually, you know, uh, with some of our widows and widowers uh, over the years, and so it is important to prepare clients for the loss of a spouse and, you know, making sure that the likely surviving spouse possesses a solid knowledge of whatever is owned, all the assets that are titled, any life insurance policies, any um, any uh, potential, uh, you know, any contacts related to life insurance, uh, any changes with Social Security once, you know, the spouse uh, passes away. And, of course, retirement accounts, making sure that the beneficiaries are designated, as well as other things like whose name is on your mortgage bill or your utility bill. You have questions. The Lewises have answers. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Yeah, these are some of the first steps, and they're important. The first assignment for these elderly clients facing the very near prospect of losing their spouse is usually determine how all the assets are titled. That can become so important. I'm thinking of one situation where the client had everything owned pretty much in the husband's name. And there was a lot of real estate. No, no, no. It was the other way. Uh, well, it depends on which client you're thinking I'm about. I'm sorry. You're right. Yeah. She owned. She owned. He, he, yeah. And he did they not. They had been married since high school and, and he had done the, I that, guess, the, old-fashioned thing and and, and and just thought that- Put it in her name put for it in liability her name and everything. protection. Right, right. But what happened was then when he was terminally he got the Ill, news. Yeah. we looked at the ownership mm-hmm. and we realized, wait a second, mm-hmm. there's going to be a, uh, there's going to be a huge tax- Mm-hmm. If she sells any of this real estate after he passes away, but right. I could arrange to have all of the real estate mm-hmm. transferred over to his name. That's right. Which we did. That's right. And then at his death, she inherited all the real estate, which she had originally owned anyway, but got the step up in basis and could sell anything tax free. So that is a powerful thing. And these are situations where you you would need time. And so the ones we're talking about tonight are if you are unfortunately in this type of situation where you you have heard um, you know the awful news and you now have time and the two of you are getting serious about, well, Unfortunately, we're in this situation and we have to deal with it. What do we do next? The next step might be to just call us here at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000 here in Raleigh. Um, you know, when we when we make a promise to be with 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 clients to the end, sometimes this is this is unfortunately a part of it. We have another caller. 
Mark, welcome hey, to the show. Hey, How can we help you. you today? Well, my father uh, owns some land in Wake County, about 50 acres, and he is uh, considering giving me and my brother a portion of that land, uh, probably four or five acres apiece. Right. Okay. And he's going to just give it to us free and clear to uh, build on or, or do whatever. We're con- he was concerned, uh, one thing, about uh, when he does pass away, um, you know, the uh, taxes and stuff. What's the best way to do something like that if he wanted to give us four or five acres free? He's right. First of all, he's talking about what's called the basis on the property. Right. And the step-up in basis rules is is what he's realizing would not apply in your case. How much is the property worth right now? We're guessing the whole farm would be probably worth uh, six or 700000 All right. We got to figure out the cost of the gift. How much he's giving you? To oh, know, to about ta- eighty thousand. All right, so he's giving you about eighty thousand dollars. Yeah. And what's his cost in it? His cost was about eight thousand. All right. So, and how old are you, Mark? Thirty-two. Thirty-two. So you've got probably, and your dad. How old is he? Uh, Fifty-seven. All right. So your dad's probably got another thirty years. That means the land's got another thirty years. I personally don't think there's, I mean, there's not much you can do about it. You could buy it from him and get the cost basis back up to 80000 Uh But if he's going to give it to you, well, Linda, what kind of taxes do you think we're looking at now? What kind of tax issues are we looking at? Well, probably a gift tax. A gift probably tax. That's the big thing that you're looking at here. Yeah, I think that's the thing that nobody is looking at, but you're asking about really the capital gains tax. What what your dad is saying is that if he gives you this property now, yeah. and then when he dies, you decide to sell it, and let's say it's worth 200000 then, you'll pay capital gains tax if you sell it after he dies mm-hmm. of maybe $100,000. Yeah, yeah. And on the other hand, if he goes ahead and let, and owns it until he dies and then you inherit it right. and sell it, then you can sell it tax-free. That's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. But, the, but that means that he's got to own it all the way until he dies. And he's too young a man to be thinking that he's, you know, like that. Right. Are you married, Mark? Yeah. But so, that's the capital gain tax issue. Now, what Linda's talking about is the gift tax issue. Mm-hmm. The gift tax issue has to do with the tax on giving stuff away. Right. Even at his young age, though, I wouldn't worry about the gift tax as much. I might try and go ahead and buy it from him if you had the cash. See, I guess the thing I was wondering is because Mark is married, the dad could essentially gift to each, right? right. To Mark and your spouse. Mark, your wife. Right. I think I just let him give it to you. I don't. I don't see any reason not just to go ahead and give it to you outright. But right. like Linda says, split the gift so his estate tax isn't impacted too much. Okay. Yeah. Why don't you do this, Mark? If you have any other questions, write them down. Call us at the office. Our number is nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. Okay. That's USA seven thousand. All right. Thank All right. You very much. Thanks for calling. Okay. Bye bye. Bye now. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis Family on News Radio six eighty WPTF. Call us with your questions. Set up an appointment at Lewis Financial Management. The number to call is nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's 919-USA-7000. Well, Doug, there's been a big change in the world of insurance. The marketing for indexed universal policies uh, will be uh, changing. Yeah, 
And I'm glad to see it. I really am. I mean, I hate to say it, but the index products, the index annuities, the index life insurance policies, these have been one of the hottest products because of uh, what I would call abusive marketing practices. Now, the product called indexed universal life, it relies on investment gains based on hoped for stock market indexes. (laughs) And then the policies promise an annual interest that's going to be based on some sort of formula pegged to an index like the S&P 500 index or the Dow Jones index. But recently, a big fight has broken out between insurance companies that promote these policies and others that say these policies are far too risky. So this was stated in the Wall Street Journal, wasn't it? Oh, it's been all over the news, at least the financial news is recently. And state insurance regulators just last month reopened this whole issue And they adopted a totally new rule that limits the illustrations that insurance agents are using. Well, that's pretty important because with the indexed universal life policies, insurers pay interest into the policyholders tax deferred account with formulas tied to the stock market. At the same time, the policies come with protection from market losses. But currently, many insurers use annual interest uh, rates of 8 to 10% a year in these quote-unquote illustrations that the agents give consumers to show how the indexed product works. Yeah, it's not at all like the illustration show because there, there are a lot of multiple, there are a lot of, lot of moving parts in these policies. First of all, the buyer pays an annual premium, but then the insurance company deducts money for expenses such as How about the cost to the insurance company for paying death benefits to other people who died while you're still alive? That's deducted from your policy. And then finally, the remainder of what's left over of that premium that stays in the policy earning this interest. Well, the issue that's at risk, I mean, that's in front of everybody right now is what they're using for projections. Okay. And these are really abusive marketing practices that are being Uh, hit upon by the regulators. Yeah. um, Poor gains could have major effects on consumers because universal life policies of all sorts, not just the indexed ones, typically are sold on the assumption that accumulated interest will pay for some or all of the future annual cost of keeping a policy in force. That's the way they're set up. But if interest income falls short... And that's the fear. That is the fear. Then policyholders could be forced to come up with some other money to cover the annual expense or maybe even lose the entire policy. And that's the worst part. Right. Right. I mean, you, you have to be careful on all of these things. The regulator's swift action in the matter is a signal of the dangers of the two optimistic illustrations. The new rules strike the right balance between providing companies flexibility while appropriately setting consumer expectations. You know, Those of us who have been around long enough remember the name Joseph Belth, and he's an Indiana University professor emeritus of insurance. And what he said is the potential for severe misrepresentations to consumers from illustrations with unrealistic returns and sometimes topping over 10% a year is finally being looked at and regulated by the regulators. So this is a big dose of reality. 
So, Doug, with these changes that are coming in the world of insurance and these policies in particular, what would be your takeaway for those folks who are listening now going, well, wait, I have one or I've been looking at buying one? All right, I'll come up with three takeaways. Number one, it's a type of permanent life insurance designed to be in force all the way until you die. But many families don't need it. They'd be much wiser in buying bare bones, cheap term insurance, which pays a death benefit if the insured person dies within, say, 20 years. So that's the first thing. Remember, these are permanent life insurance policies, and that means they are designed for life, and they're more expensive. Okay, what would be takeaway number two? Takeaway number two is that the buyer's money is not directly invested in stocks, as you might think it is. Instead, it becomes part of the insurer's investment portfolio, which is heavily laden with bonds, and the link to the stock market performance that they talk about typically is coming from some exotic investments. Okay. Doesn't sound like that'd be very easy to find out what the underlying investment would be. It's hard. But the third takeaway is to beware of the sales pitch. Beware of the pitch that suggests you can use this accumulated income in retirement. No. Insurance is risk transfer for the likelihood or the possibility of you dying. It is not a retirement vehicle. If the interest income falls short of the projections, there might not be much or any money for you to pull out. Worse still, the policyholder could find out that he has to come up with tens of thousands of dollars just to keep the policy in force. Do not take the sales pitch that this life insurance policy can be used for anything else other than life insurance. That's exactly right. So those are my three takeaways. And I'm glad the insurance regulators are really bringing it to the public's attention. Good. Now, Doug, uh, Deborah. Yes. Life insurance is transferring risk. Absolutely. And necessary, usually in a family where there's small children. And so, you know, uh, a lot of folks, and I'm sure many of our listeners who are working in corporate America, they generally have a certain limit that their employer is giving them, right? I don't know if I'd say well, usually. Not, not it might always, be available. But, you know, usually it's possible that with uh, if you're working in corporate America, one of the things, one of the benefits may sure. be that you have like a ten, fifteen, twenty-five thousand dollar life insurance policy that maybe costs you three dollars okay. a month. Okay. But isn't it important to make sure that you're adequately insured? Okay. If God forbid, absolutely, you get hit on five forty in a rainstorm. <laughs> yeah. And you have three yeah. little kids. Right. So is it enough? All right. So what you're bringing to the attention of the listeners is the other side of the story. Yes. You're exactly right. Number one, you need to work with a certified financial planner such as myself, such as Deborah, who can do a needs analysis to determine are your needs for risk coverage adequately protected. That's number one. Find out what is the need. You may have no need or you may have a huge need, but whatever it is, find out how much it is exactly. Then number two, get the cheapest kind of policy you can to cover that need. And if you work that way, then you can be safe from the sales pitch of the equity index products that are out there, which I have, I have to which say, if certain- inappropriately purchased will take away what you bought insurance for to begin with, which is risk transfer. If you lose that, you lose it all. So, yes, if that's your question, give us a call. For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA. 
7,000. Cheryl, this is Doug Lewis. How can I help you? Uh, my son wants me to invest in a subchapter S corporation, and I don't invest anything I can't afford to lose. So right. I, I'm not really concerned about that, but I'm concerned about the fact that he wants me to encourage some of my friends to do so. And I don't understand the uh, ins and outs of what a subchapter S corporation means. Well, that's like saying your son would like to get married, but not telling you, you know, uh, who he's marrying. The, 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 the subchapter S corporation is simply a container. W what is the investment? Uh, the investment is in, in publishing. He, he has something really going in Arizona, and he needs to expand. Oh, so he wants you to help him expand his business. Yes. Oh, well, he's not talking about you investing in a subchapter S. He's asking you to loan him some money. Uh, well... Yeah. I'm, I'm going to get stock for it. Yeah, well, that, you know, and a nickel used to buy you a cup of coffee. I won't even buy you a cup of coffee today. So the stock is basically going to be worthless. All you're doing is loaning him money in exchange for the fact that if his business happens to make a profit, then down the road, you can get a piece of the profits. But if I will tell you with an absolute, absolute assurance, say no. Just say no. Right, Linda? Yeah, I would agree. It's too risky. And... Never with your kids, with your family. Never invest with the family. Okay, even if I can afford to lose it. No, no. I mean, you create bad, bad. Uh, I, I, I would say no. I, I tell all of my clients, do not invest. If you want to give them a gift, give them a gift. If you can afford it. How old are you? <laughs> sixty. You're sixty years old. What's yeah. your income? Uh oh, roughly two hundred thousand a year. All right, you're making two hundred thousand a year, so you can go ahead and lose some money. Yes. I presume you're not. Your living expenses aren't running two hundred thousand oh, no, a year, no, are no, they? No. Okay. Uh, what does your investment portfolio look like? I've got a really, I've, I've got a, a very good one. I've got everything from uh, mutual funds and stocks and bonds, and I've got some T bills, and I've, I've got really good spread on that. Okay. And how much do you have invested? Probably about three hundred fifty thousand. All right, so you've got $350,000 investment. Where is your income coming from? Uh, a lot of it's coming from uh, rental property uh -huh. and, uh, so, and a business that I own. $350,000 is only at best going to be able to produce about $25,000 a year income for you. So I'd be real concerned if that's all your investment portfolio is. And if you're bringing in $200,000 a year, what are you doing with all your money? Well, it's not going into your investment portfolio. No, it's, I've, I've been putting it back in business. And how much does your son want you to, learn to invest in his subchapter? Oh, only about $5,000. Okay. Well, first of all, give him the $5,000 and tell him that you don't want any, any of his stock. All right? That's the best thing to do. It sounds like you're a prime candidate for financial planning. If you tell me your investment portfolio is only $350,000, and I know that can't support a person who's bringing in an income of $200,000, because that's only $25,000 a year income. And if you tell me you don't know where all the money is going on your income side, $200,000, if you're plowing all of that back in, what's the structure of your business? Is it a proprietorship or a corporation? It's proprietorship. That's even worse. That means that every bit of your income is producing a tax liability for you, and yet you're not accumulating. You see what I'm saying? Mm hmm So it looks to me like you need some real financial advice from a certified financial planner to tie together the three components of your world. It's wonderful that you've got an income of 200000 but you should be investing a fixed amount of that income a significant amount because you're 60 years old, and that's a scary age.
So if I were you, the, the business side of it needs to be tied together with the investment side. You should be able to see how much you will have accumulated five years from now when you're 65, how much of that income coming in from your business will be over there in your investment portfolio. You see what I'm saying? Yes. And the goal should be that your investment portfolio could support you at your lifestyle. You need to analyze your lifestyle very carefully. If you'd like any further information, call me at the office in Raleigh. That number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Okay. I don't want to let her off the air without answering her question of definition. What is a subchapter S? It's nothing more than a corporation that does not pay taxes. It's a flow-through entity. It just lets you go ahead and have a non-taxable entity that looks and acts like a partnership or even a sole proprietorship like your business. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. It's just a non-taxable corporation as opposed to a regular corporation. Then it's got some other features and benefits to it. But for a startup, it's usually... Uh, that's all that, I mean, that's all you need to know about it because it doesn't have any real bearing on your end. What it has to do is over on his end. And if you get some stock in it, you know, that's that's not your goal. Your goal is to help him out. Right. Yeah. So it and sounds like I should not be encouraging my friends to do this either. Absolutely not. You don't no. want to lose your friends. No, don't, don't, don't do that. That's called venture capital. What it really is, it's not subchapter S, it's venture capital. And that's a real sad situation when, because of personal reasons, friends and relatives contribute to a venture capital deal, which is another term for startup business. Mm -hmm. uh, no, don't do that. That's, that's, a, that's a real no-no. You can create a, a, a quagmire of problems down the road, which are not worth it to you or your son. And write down your questions, because whoever you use as your advisor should be able to answer those questions. Thinking about your financial future. Do you have questions that need answers? For a consultation with Doug or Deborah Lewis, call Lewis Financial Management at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Well, Doug, there's another area that is really important, and that's shielding retirement assets from taxes. The retirement assets you've worked so hard to save will be taxed once distributions begin. And fortunately, there are strategies that can help reduce taxes for you and your heirs. Yeah, a lot of people are not aware of the different strategies that are available. Now, for the tax conscious, the premise behind retirement plan distributions is very simple. The longer you're expected to live, the less the Internal Revenue Service requires you to withdraw and pay taxes on each year. Because your heirs could inherit this payout schedule along with the assets tax bill, then you need to go ahead and Talk with a certified financial planner like myself or like Deborah about how recent distribution rules should be applied to best meet your own goals and, and, and objectives. But keep in mind that if you or your heirs don't withdraw the minimum amounts when they're required, the penalty can be 50% tax. So it is huge if you do it wrong. Now, with careful planning, your retirement assets can remain as vital as they have been during your lifetime. And with new distribution rules, it may be a good time to review your existing plans. It's equally important to talk with those who may bequeath a retirement legacy to you, such as parents or grandparents, to see what type of tax planning they've put in place. Opening the doors to this discussion might make your tax burden lighter later on and bring peace of mind to you and your family. You know, Deborah, as hard as it is to believe, today's tax advantage plans, including IRAs and 401ks and rollovers, they all have the potential to make many employees millionaires. We never used to think this, but that's exactly the fact. 
And these plans are also highly vulnerable to taxes if they're not bequeathed properly. And that's what we're talking about. For instance, a $1 million IRA inheritance could have $450,000 of income taxes due, leaving only a little more than a half a million dollars of that million dollar IRA. That would be tragic. Well, it's there. It's facing everybody. And so... We need right. To I mean, it's untaxed income. So we know it's there and we know it's coming, but we got to plan for it. All right. Now, the RMD rules simplify things. The IRS rules for calculating the RMD, which is the required minimum distribution from IRAs and qualified retirement plans, provide some longer term planning advantages. Yeah. The whole goal is to stretch out the tax bill. Now, there are various ways to make those payments and to stretch them out easier for, you know, your heirs, such as selecting the right beneficiary. If no beneficiary is named, then your assets could end up in probate. Your beneficiaries could be taking distributions faster than they expected. And in most cases, spousal beneficiaries become the ideal because they have a lot of options that aren't available to anybody else, including the option to get 100% rolled over free of any estate taxes or any income taxes and move it into the spouse's IRA. So that's the first issue. Select the right beneficiary. Now, consider the options for multiple beneficiaries. The IRS has issued private letter rulings that suggest the assets in a stretch IRA may be split into several accounts. Yeah, this is very interesting now because the stretch IRA provisions Uh, have positives and negatives to them. But basically, if the heir, let's say your child, doesn't need the money right then and wants to avoid getting that big 45% tax or whatever, then the regulations allow you to set it up as a stretch IRA and stretch the required minimum that comes out of it which over the beneficiary's lifetime exactly another thought is you know another way to stretch out this tax bill is by being generous plan assets given to a charity are fully estate tax deductible and with no income tax due on that gift a fourth one doug is really interesting um it's consider using an irrevocable trust yeah there are strategies and we do them in our office using an irrevocable trust. We very often we call Complex this strategies. It right? is Linda, and we very often call this the children's trust. This type of planning is very complex. It requires specialized expertise in estate planning, such as what we do. But you can go ahead and design the beneficiary to be an irrevocable trust. Well, what's one of these strategies, or what's something that one could do? Well, you could go ahead. Let's say that you have a large IRA Uh and it has grown to be an extremely large amount and you don't want it to go to your children outright because it would be a big, it'd be too much money. All right. What you can do is you can create an irrevocable trust and have that trust be what we call the children's trust. Have the IRA name its beneficiary, the children's trust. Okay. And then it will qualify as a stretch IRA inside the children's trust and have no taxes at all as it moves from the deceased name into the children's trust. Now it has to go ahead and pay out something, but it can be paid out as a stretch IRA 
you just saved, if it was a million dollar IRA, you just saved $450,000 in taxes. Okay. It can now be taxed as a stretch IRA over the life of the oldest beneficiary, the oldest child, the mm-hmm. oldest beneficiary. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be very small. And then the trustee can control how that works. Okay. That's very possible. Okay. We have done those before. There's another one that I like yeah. even more. And the one that I like even more is to create a charitable trust, which is an irrevocable trust, and let this be the beneficiary of the IRA. And now there'll be zero taxes when it goes over. There's no required minimum distribution. And the IRA that's naming a charitable trust as the beneficiary, it will pay out over the child's lifetime. Okay. Uh, I like that one an awful lot. There are ways to work with that one. We have done all of them. So what would be some points to remember in regard to uh, shielding retirement assets from taxes? Point number one, if retirement assets are not left properly, heirs can lose as much as half of it. All right. Point number two, the longer your life expectancy is, the smaller the annual tax bills could be for both you and your heirs. All right. Number three, some easy ways to make distributions more effective are using the stretch IRAs. Number four, plan heirs can reduce taxes by using rollover IRAs. And the most important? Contact a certified financial planner like Doug Lewis or Deborah Lewis, and we will help you. You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com. And listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF.